Data Mesh Radio is produced, hosted, and edited by me, Scott Hurlman. I created Data Mesh Radio to be a resource for data mesh practitioners the world over. This is a weekly summary episode where I share a bit about the upcoming week's episodes and give you an extended summary for any interviews or panels that will be released this week. Should help you decide what episodes you might want to spend the full time with as interview episodes and panels are typically one hour or more. In general, if you are running up against any challenges with Data Mesh, I'm here to help. I started a company around doing just that, working with lots of practitioners just to kind of get them into a better headspace and a better kind of operating model around Data Mesh. So please do get in touch if that sounds interesting. Weekly episode summaries and programming notes for the week of April 23rd, 2023. Starting to feel a little bit of FOMO, you know, fear of missing out for the Data Innovation Summit that's going to go on in Stockholm in a couple of weeks. I looked at trying to take the trip and it just wasn't going to work out with financing and timing. You know, every trip from the Bay Area was going to be like 18 plus hours both ways and it was just going to be a little bit too pricey. But I'd love to hear what conferences or events people are going to and would like me to attend. I had wanted to do a bunch early this year. There was just a lot of reasons why that wasn't going to happen. But starting next, you know, into the second half of this year, and especially next year, I'm going to be speaking at a lot of conferences, presumably, you know, got to get through the CFPs, but I want to know what what people are doing. And I'm going to be kind of doing a lot of things where I'm going to be kind of in person and doing my data mesh therapy and maybe some interviews for the podcast and things like that, and just introducing people to each other. So with that, what's on tap for this week? Monday, we've got episode 216. What is your part in doing the right thing in data? You know, value, ethics, literacy, and more with Guy Taylor from Booking.com. This is just a very chill and wide-ranging chat with Guy about how do we keep our eyes focused on doing the right thing? That, That right thing can be doing the right things to drive sustainable business value. It can be about ethics. It can be just about like very clear communication and empathy with each other, such as like humans hate uncertainty. So drive away the uncertainty where possible. It's just kind of a good conversation to pick up some some interesting tidbits, but also just kind of have a calm and relaxing day. So a little bit like last week's as well of uh, with Marcy Stetzel, where it's just a very, very calm and friendly conversation. Um, And then on Friday, we've got episode 217, which is part two of another one on buy-in, flipping the script on working with your first domain, Mesh Musings 47. And so this was, I just keep getting people talking to me about buy-in, buy-in, buy-in. So I wanted to kind of drive on what are additional leverage points that you can can potentially get to to drive buy-in. And this is a continuation from episode 211. I think I had three things to avoid and four things to do. This one has eight, right? So that would be one, like do things that are extremely tied to people's top priorities. Number two, find additional funding sources, right? When you're doing data mesh work, you've got to find 
the funding for it. And so if you can find other ways that you can get this funded, great. Like if that's the transformation office, if that's one of the users of the data that's going to be like, oh, yes, we'll be a user, not in just the initial domain, but additional users, all that stuff. Three, finding a true executive sponsor. Thinking, you know, about talking to them about being the one that brought a whole new approach that is driving far better data results and things like that. You can really up their their profile when this is a success. Number four, having your data be leveraged by other teams. You talk to a domain and you say, since you've already done this in such a great way, you know, this can mean that more funding flows in for your data products projects and potentially your domain as a whole, because it's proving that there's a lot of value to the work that you do to the greater organization. Number five, control how things work for everyone. Like you aren't just the trendsetter. We will make kind of how things work more aligned to how you think. You're kind of that secret favorite child in the initial shaper of how things work. Number six would be similar to moving at the speed of business. It's much smaller experiments. It's it's being able to have very, very tight feedback loops with a much smaller kind of blast radius around things. Seven, just better data quality. I think a great episode on this is episode 104 with Carolina Hensel. You can kind of dig in there, but you can really say like legitimately this has better data quality. And uh, the last one would be kind of potentially easier regulatory reporting. That can be a good leverage buy-in point. So uh, with that, now on to the extended summary for Guy's episode. summary for episode 216. What is your part in doing the right thing in data? The right thing for value, ethics, literacy, and more. An interview with Guy Taylor. So in this episode, I interviewed Guy, who's the director of data science and analytics, as well as the director of experimentation at booking.com. To be clear, though, Guy was only representing his own views on the episode. Guy started off by talking about data literacy and how the analogy of literacy it's not only the ability to read, but also to write, carries over to data well. Data literacy or data fluency, it's not just can someone consume data, but can they also produce data? Can they share information in a way that can be, you know, kind of read by others? After all, we aren't trying to share data. We are trying to share information, but via data. When Guy embeds people from his data team into domains and their kind of data mesh implementation, it is, quote unquote, with the express purpose of doing education, making sure that we are having the conversations around what things mean, what our expectations of those things are. Instead of embedding people into domains to do most of the work, they're focused on helping other people get to a level where they can handle far more of the necessary data work which is quite often not the deep data work, but bridging the communication gaps and getting on the same page. That is especially important for expectations. Mismatched expectations is one of the most prevalent and damaging challenges to data work. 
So Guy is asking data team members to spend a lot of time making sure the producers and the domains that they're going into know how to manage those conversations and drive to what is actually a value instead of what was initially just requested because they might not have known what they needed to do. In his, in his experience, there is tendency for data people to try to jump to the tooling to solve issues. Going back to expectations, if you try to solve without the expectations setting and leveling conversations, you will likely not deliver what consumers actually expect. You may see it as solved, but they sure don't. That's where you get the dreaded, the data is bad feedback, because they, you know, there aren't clear metrics and expectations. If you align, and as uh, Radha Rishani mentioned in her episode 206, if you stay aligned through collaborative prioritization, then there is a much better chance of delivering value and making all parties happy. A comment Guy made was that there is an over-tendency towards action in tech, and especially in data. People see a problem, and they want to jump to trying to fix it instead of getting the necessary information first. And it may be no action is the best answer, too. Just because there is pain, that doesn't mean action is necessary immediately. Think about kind of, you know, I, I hate to kind of say that kids are, or that people are like kids or anything, but that when you think about a kid falling and scraping their knee, the, the best answer might be that you just go, okay, like it's, it's fine now, right? Like it doesn't have to be that everything is, we must immediately fix it versus uh, you kind of got to live with the pain for right now or no action is actually the best action. Right now, Guy sees the industry conversations around data contracts and data sharing agreements as slightly naive. Jamak has talked about that as well. People seem to be thinking that this is about data integration between systems instead of data sharing between two parties, and that producers should declare every aspect of what they are producing instead of consumers being part of the conversation, right? I've talked about this producing into the void and having these silent consumers. It just doesn't help very much. Consumers need to share what they are trying to achieve, how they will use the data, etc. So producers understand the value and what would disrupt the value creation. Like if this thing is going to change, is this going to disrupt my value? There needs to be accountability and responsibility falling on consumers too. The contract portion can serve as the technology interface, but that doesn't replace the need for conversation. And there is some responsibilities that fall on data consumers. We need to have that conversation about exactly what those are. Ethics in data is always going to be an interesting but challenging problem in Guy's book. A good place to start is the social contract aspect. How would this be viewed by society? As an organization, start down the ethics path by creating and agreeing to a set of principles. Create good ways for people to seek and receive useful feedback regarding ethics. And honestly, your company ethics will change, and it's important to reevaluate your ethical choices, especially as you learn more. Your organization will have made mistakes, and that's typically not something you should try to lose sleep over. Fix it now and know that you're better now. Basically, look to do the right thing, but it's okay that you didn't always do the right thing. That doesn't mean that, you know, you're in the wrong. You 
made a choice and you're reflecting back and maybe making a different choice. You know, obviously there are some chance there are some places where you're just wrong, but in a lot of cases, it's like we didn't really think about how this could be used or, or we've updated how we think about this. While it can feel good to, you know, quote unquote, make progress, Guy believes in the deep work by Cal Newport type philosophy. And there's a link in the show notes for the episode when that comes out. People have the greatest impact when they have time to really think and process. Yet in today's work world, that is a rarity for anyone. If we're asking teams to really take on data ownership, we have to work to prioritize the time to learn. And that includes processing time. Yes, people learn by doing, but not only doing. Guy talked about trying to clear the space for teams to learn something new, including the impact to the cognitive load capacity of teams, especially when it comes to data ownership on the domains. You know, this is something that's really important that you have to clear this space so that people can actually learn and not become even more overloaded, even if it's not a ton of incremental work up front. It's a bunch of cognitive load. When people know there are expectations on them as well and their and their work, but those expectations aren't explicit or clear, that's also unnecessary cognitive load. Domains need to have crisp and clear expectations in data mesh. And if the expectations of them by consumers and the data team aren't super clear yet, look to communicate that. But try to get more detail to make the implicit, very explicit. It's a lot of unnecessary, unnecessary cognitive load when people just don't know the expectations on them. Another common friction point Guy pointed to is the lack of understanding of your impact on others. He believes, again, that most people want to, quote unquote, do the right thing, but they don't always know where there is even a problem to address. How are your actions impacting downstream data consumers? Again, there is a responsibility on these data consumers to generate the conversation. Sharing that context allows people to do the right things because they are aware. Currently, most teams in most organizations seem to be overloaded with work and cognitively overloaded in Guy's view. You know, I fully agree. It would be lovely to wave a magic wand and fix that, but it's not possible. So we have to work to pull out the complexity and give teams the ability to do their best work. But high value work has interconnected complexity. So you can't take a machete to that connected complexity and expect good results. Look to prioritize what really matters when you can and break things down into manageable chunks. And talking again about data ownership, Guy believes that producing teams should not have to own too much of the downstream consumption. They should own the transformation and sharing of, of data after it's been transformed, but the consumer should own the insight or the metric. They asked for the data, so they need to have some responsibilities and accountability too. Scott, note here, I don't entirely agree. It, it should be this way for every use case, but I do like a very crisp line of ownership if it works for your organization. Guy uses the kind of Marie Kondo approach when looking at orphaned systems or processes. Evaluate it, and if this is sparking joy, if it is sparking value, right? If it is, great. Let's get it into a good shape, you know, because it's been orphaned, and then put it into the right hands ownership-wise. 
not shove something to someone while it is still in kind of that data disrepair, but get it functioning well and then hand it over. But if something isn't creating value and you find it, shut it down. For too long in data, there has been a hesitancy to shut things down because at some point they might create value. Don't fall into that kind of data field of dreams, you know, value will come kind of mindset. It's important to get to uh, an experimentation, a, a test, you know, learn and then iterate approach in Guy's view. He is the director of experimentation after all, right? A good way to get people to see the, the value of experimentation is how it provides far better incremental value delivery. Instead of huge projects with big budgets that take years and rarely de- deliver the, the value that was expected of them, What if instead you took the overall goals and broke that down into manageable pieces and delivered value over time as you get closer and closer to the project vision? You'll be more nimble and get a return on investment far quicker. A few tidbits that kind of came up at the end of the conversation. Skunkworks can be a great approach to trying things out and seeing if there is value. Don't try to move Skunkworks directly to production, but you can do some fun and useful innovation that way. And the other is good leaders set their teams up to innovate. They prioritize the time to try new things and get their people and, and let their people explore. Let them go off the paved road. Hopefully that sounds like some awesome episodes for the week. As a reminder, feel free to get in touch if I might be useful in your data mesh journey. I'm helping quite a few organizations and introducing people to each other, plus doing some roundtables. I hope you have a great rest of your day and your week. Now on to that fun, funky little outro music.